how can we revolutionize our youth justice system so that instead of having this school to prison pipeline, we're able to provide young men, especially in our brown and black communities with the tools and resources so they can live a healthy life. This is the question that we explore today with our guest, Hernan Carvente Martinez. He is a executive director of Alancia Youth Justice. He is the founder of Healing Ninjas and a youth leadership coach and social entrepreneur. Hernan has worked with a myriad of industries, including the juvenile justice, child welfare, mental health, corrections, and philanthropy. He is really passionate about developing and implementing sustainable community-driven solutions and partnerships with youth and families. Most recently, he worked at the Youth First Initiative, where he supported state, uh, state campaigns that focus on closing youth prisons and reinvesting the money into the community alternatives. He worked with uh, directly impacted young people in these campaigns by offering professional development, support, coaching, and other resources. He is also a 2021 Reebok Human Rights Award winner. Uh, Hernan is also serves in, in many boards in the community corrections youth and the Alliance for Youth Organization Organizing. He is the member of several philanthropic funds and supported leadership and directly impacted communities. Um, so in this conversation today, uh, he shares his story about him going into the justice system at a young age and kind of what led to that. Um, really encourage you to listen to that whole, this whole episode because towards the end, um, myself and Jose really breaks down some of the uh, key points that Hernan shares in this episode. Just want to give you a little warning. Uh, this episode can be heavy for for some people. So we do talk about you know incarceration, uh, suicide ideation, and um, <clears throat> abuse, uh, whether it be physical and sexual abuse. All right. But um, I really encourage you guys to take a listen to this episode. I assure you that you will be not be disappointed. Hernan's story is really inspiring how he has been able to overcome so much and still is overcoming so much uh, uh, and also now as a father. So with that, let's go get, let's get to this episode. Hernan, ¿cómo estás, hermano? Uh, muy bien, Efraín. Gracias por la invitación. Uh, gracias por uh, todo lo que haces todos los días. Um, I'm just here, man. I'm, I'm living, trying to do my best to continue growing, continue thriving. And yeah, I'm just happy to be able to breathe another day. That's beautiful, brother. Um, yeah, brother, I would love for you to share a little bit more about yourself. Um just a brief history we don't have to go in deep into um everything but like just so people get to know who you are a little bit about your your story and you know what you're doing right now yeah so yeah thank you for that invitation and, and to everyone listening um it's a pleasure to be on this podcast to support the hermano um where do i start uh so i'm 30 years old Mm. Um, I am a Chicano. Uh, I am a dad. Mm. I am a son. I am a brother. Uh, those are my core identities. Um, I'm also a community activist. I'm a social entrepreneur. I'm a youth coach. Um, I think I have a lot of titles in my head that I would call myself these days. I've I've done a lot of work um, mm. in the last 10 years to to sort of build up my own sense of identity in different ways. But I'm also someone who is a survivor of gang violence, of sexual mm. abuse, of substances, uh, suicide attempts, um, mm. the amount of things that I've experienced in life that have also served as the catalyst for me to be who I am today also inform the different parts of my identity and who I am. And so I'm just, uh, you know, happy to be able to share that that journey, to be able to have been able to go through all of those things in my childhood, to be able to still be standing today and 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 serve the community as a as a national activist who fights for the liberation of black and brown young people who are impacted by the criminal justice system 
as a mental health advocate, someone who's very open about his own journey with mental health and really always trying to be visible for our brothers out there about what that looks like and and how other men uh, could also unpack their own healing um, and also just talk about different ways to to live thriving and healthy lives versus the angry and very um, sort of misogynistic uh, lifestyles that many of us were forced to exist in for many years. Um, so that's who I am in, in a nutshell, right? Like I'm someone yeah. who's still exploring who he is. I'm an activist. I'm someone who's been doing a lot of work in the community, but above all, I'm human. Um, I'm a person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I always have to remind myself that, um, <laughs> you know, it's not it's not something that I used to do. I think I I always talk about my identity or my experiences, but I don't humanize myself enough. So that's a little bit about me, y'all. That's true, brother. That's true. That reminder that we're all human. We all have these human needs. And I think one thing about your story, brother, is the passion that you have of supporting young um, men of color especially in the criminal justice system and I would love for you uh, you to share how did that passion come about for sure so you know growing up um, I experienced uh, the criminal justice system very early on you know even when when I was in school I wasn't the the most calm uh, teenager I was very problematic I was very angry to be real Um, I grew up with a lot of anger, right? I bottled up a lot of anger from experiences that I had at home, violence through, you know, my parents, violence that I witnessed in my community, and I internalized a lot of that. And so I used to always be in the face of law enforcement, uh, not by choice, but because some of the choices that I was making at the time Mm -hmm. put me in the guise of the criminal justice system very early on, including gang affiliation, including drugs, including all the things that you traditionally think of, like, oh, when a young person is behaving bad, who comes and, and you know, saves the day? A police officer, right? And I think mm. for me, it was, it, it, I needed saving in different ways, but ultimately that's the system that ended up actually doing something. And what it ended up doing was actually putting me in situations where I just got further and further into the criminal justice system during my time as a as a gang member, um, you know, I at some point made the choice to shoot a rival gang member uh, with the intention of taking his life away. I don't say that because I'm proud to say it. I say that because it is a decision that I made when I was younger that was filled with rage, that was filled mm. with immaturity, and that was filled with, more than anything, uh, a complete disregard for my life and the life of other people. And so that should tell you, right, like how much at that point in my life I had already de- been desensitized to the concept of humanity, the concept of, you know, being a, a young person who had so much more potential to do other things. And that that was the last thing that I resorted to, which was violence. Yeah. And for me, you know, that moment, that that decision led to me going into the criminal justice system for the crime of attempted murder. Um, I ended up uh, getting uh, a six-year sentence. I should have received an 18-year sentence. But at the time, New York had a particular law called the Juvenile Offender Law. Um, My crime happened at 15 years old, 363 days, two days shy of 16. Mm. Had it happened at 16 years old, I would have been tried as an adult, been put on Rikers Island, and likely would have been served uh, 18 years. Mm. Instead, I was charged through this particular law. And with it, I was able to receive adult time, but ultimately in a modified way because I was still a young person at the time when the crime happened. But that two-day difference put me in the juvenile justice system. And in that system, I ended up serving about four years um, and then came home and served two on parole. Mm. Um, And I can tell you that part of my reason and, and passion for a lot of the work that I do is because of that time that I spent in prison, right? Like I witnessed... Uh, you know, violence through corrections officers. I witnessed, you know, violence amongst my peers. I witnessed a, a complete breakdown in terms of the supportive systems that young people should have been, you know, benefiting from yeah. and those systems not doing anything for them. And so when I was in there, I ended up, you know, coming across a man. Um, his name was James LeCain. Um, He's always the person who I bring up because he helped me turn my life around. Mm. Um, he was the first person to not call me by a number, not call me by, you know, some, you know, term, whether it was a felon, a convict, or anything that you could think of in terms of all the derogatory terms that we call people who come into contact with the law. He called me Hernan. 
he called me my name and recognized my humanity. He constantly mm. reminded me of that humanity. And he gave me different titles and different, you know, things to sort of represent myself by, whether it was college student, dad, uh, you know, leader in the group or mentor. He gave me mm. different titles to sort of uh, embody and emulate. And I ended up believing those titles at some point mm. um, and became those things. And so when I came home in June of 2012, um, I had a different uh, path that I wanted to walk, Efrain. I wanted to go and, I don't know, just work a nine to five. I had my daughter um, who had been born when I went into prison. And so by the time I came home, she was four. Mm. And I just wanted to like take care of her, have my little family, work a nine yeah. to five and just be okay. And then I got denied 15 jobs. Uh, mm. College became really hard to get into because of financial aid. And ultimately it was a, it was a reality check that, wow, this um, felony conviction is literally a target on my back yeah. uh, and it's going to haunt me and it's going to make things difficult. And so when I saw that, um, the one field where I ultimately could be myself and could still have opportunities was the criminal justice field. Um, and so I started doing this, what I'm doing with you now, right? Like sharing my story in the beginning as a means of enlightening people who had never been in there for like what injustices were happening. Um, but ultimately that catapulted me into being, you know, recognized as one of the few young leaders at the time who was open about his, you know, his background, who was open about being quote unquote, a violent felon yeah. and someone who ultimately, you know, just kind of went through all of these experiences and was very much open to share them with people who wanted to make a difference. Um, and so that's how my journey of, you know, getting into this field happened, but helping young people uh, in the long term wasn't a, you know, just like a, a passion. It became a call to action for me because yeah. I was one of few young people at the time who was getting opportunities like this. And it was like, I can't be the only one. I can't be the only leader. I can't be the only one on an advisory board or on this committee yeah. or in this job or in this internship. Like we need more of me, right? And so I ended up uh, realizing that like my job in this space was to create more opportunities for more young people to rise and thrive in the way that I did. Um, and so that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years. Wow. Wow. Man, I heard your story before, but every time I hear it, it just... Some, something that I feel for you, brother, of like just being so open with that story and and um being able to share share it with such passion and openness, you know, it, it does it takes a lot of work to get to where you're at. And I recognize that, brother. So muchas gracias. Thank you so much. And then um going back to you know, you as a teen, you as a you know, gang member running with the crowd, ultimately running into the justice system. Now you're passionate about helping young men, people, young men or just uh, humans of color. Um, you know, I, I want to share that I recently, uh, I run also groups with young uh, boys and I had a, a group with five young um, Latino, Chicano boys. Um, and they were very aware of this. They were very aware of like, they're like, oh yeah, you know, just because I dress like this or I hang out with certain people, you know, cops are always looking at me and they're always asking me questions. They pull me over or not pull me over, but pull me to the side. Um, and and then they, they make me angry and I want to, you know, do this and then... It, this that's what they want so they can continue doing it and i was like wow you guys are so fucking aware of this and i'm like i did was not aware when i was your age i was not aware of like yeah. this this uh uh criminalization of young men you know so it's like i was i was really surprised by that and one thing that i want to ask you is how can we help um young men um at that stage when they're just discovering they're just you know exploring so they don't have to go into the justice system instead of um you know criminalizing them and you know saying hey what you're doing we're gonna put you on probation put you you know whatever that looks like what 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 is uh, some some alternatives 
for uh, young men of color. And actually, and before that, it's like, where's the history behind that? If you can tell me more about the history uh, as you have been learning in this field. So Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's for the last 10 years, I, I've learned the history of the criminal justice system through the lens of how this has impacted people of color, but specifically black people in America. Right. And, mm. and it's been, you know, horrible to learn, you know, how the war on drugs um, or slavery or all these things that happened, you know, years ago are, were pretty much the impetus for a criminal justice system existing in America. Right. That like mm. slavery never really went away. We just kind of legalized it through a formal system. And that ultimately every person who goes into the justice system either looks like me or looks like someone else, but what has a similar experience, like the one that I have, right? Like the same background of having broken families, communities that are under, you know, uh, funded and under supported, and ultimately uh, communities that are just riddled with violence and lack of services. And so when we think about the ways in which young people, you know, have been sort of shown this, it's through the constant sort of criminalization of their bodies, of their minds, of their you know, just their existence as a whole. And one of the things that came to me recently through my work at the Alianza for Youth Justice um, was that I had to really start focusing in on what does it mean to talk about this issue from the perspective of Latinx, Chicano, Afro-Latinx, Indigenous, mm. LGBTQ young people and girls, mm. and really think about, you know, this sub-demographic that oftentimes in the criminal justice conversation isn't always talked about, Mm. Um, you know, when we think about uh, brown people in America, we we don't often realize that like being brown and just checking off a box with that says Latino or Hispanic isn't enough, right? Like mm. we got people in the Latinx community that are Mexican, Argentinian, uh, Salvadorian. You know, we have different culturas, mm. uh, different indigenous roots that we come from, yeah. and ultimately, a lot of that history, a lot of that indigeneity has been lost uh, throughout mm. the years. And, you know, people also don't realize that at some point in America, you know, half of this continent was already, you know, inhabited by people who were native to this country mm. and ultimately who were indigenous in context. But like in those, you know, small tribes in the small groups that existed here, their form of, of, of addressing young people who came into contact in some way with the law or who got in trouble because that even then, you know, systems of law were very different, but just like kids, when they got in trouble, they were always approached from a place of love, right? Like they were disciplined with love. They weren't called names like convict or felon. They were given beautiful names, you know, even in like the, the, the Nahuatl language, there's no bad words in there, right? Mm. Like the, the language itself is very pure as well. You know, and, and I think part of what people don't realize is that a lot of these things in the, you know, in, in, in past times were in crimes, right? Like kids were given an opportunity to grow, to thrive, to, to make mistakes, mm. learn from those mistakes. And the elders were always there to kind of course correct and support. And mm. now in America, what we have is when a young person drifts off course, we immediately throw them into a system. And whether that be, you know, our failed education systems, our failed mental health systems, our failed criminal justice systems. And I know that if a, if a person who worked in any of those systems heard me say that out loud, they'd be like, not all systems are the same. And that's the mm. truth. There mm. are some good serving systems, but the reality is, is that there are more bad serving systems and more people who've already given up on young people working in those systems then there are good serving systems or people who actually care about young people still. And that's very much a constructed issue, right? Like staff burnout within facilities, staff burnout within agencies, the work that people do mm. every day is exhausting. Vicarious trauma is a real thing. Mm. So when you think about all of that, what I just said, and you think about the alternatives, Efrain, the alternatives are limited, right? Like I've worked for the past six years in the prison abolition space. Uh, I used to work at an organization called the Youth First Initiative. And, you know, we supported about 12 state campaigns that wanted to close youth prisons and reinvest that money in community alternatives. Every single time we supported one of these campaigns, we always got the pushback. If we close them, then where do we put the kids that get in trouble? Mm. And it was it was a reality check, not just for us as a organizing space. It was also a reality check for systems because it's like, actually, that's true. If we don't have prisons, where do we put them or how do we help them? 
Mm. And it was sad. And, you know, I say this very bluntly now. It's sad that as a country, as a people, um, as a, as a you know, as a society, that all we can think about when it comes to how we address young people who get into trouble is a prison-like environment. Like, that's the only solution that we have yeah. in our minds. Lock them up and then help them instead of helping them throughout the spectrum of their life, help them when they've already made a mistake. And so there are a few alternatives around the country, right, that are trying to do more front-end early intervention work, uh, try to help kids, you know, right before they even get into middle school, uh, try to help families build up their capacity before then. But the alternatives of Efrain um, are very limited. Uh, and by why, why I say limited is because they exist, but they are underfunded. They are not backed uh, by this like quote evidence-based research that exists in the world and that we talk yeah. about all the time in criminal justice. It's really, you know, we're at a point now where this mass movement to abolish prisons is forcing everybody to think, what does a world without youth prisons look like? What mm. does a world where we're helping kids thrive and heal and ultimately get the love that they need to become healthy, loving adults look like. And I wow. think that that's where we are now, right? Like that's what we're trying to like figure out. Um, and I think the only way that we're going to get to build that collective vision is by having more conversations like this, right? Where like the comunidad becomes aware that this is an issue where our gente actually knows that this is something that we need to be talking about more regularly. And so I invite people who are listening to this to engage in some of those conversations, to share this podcast with other people, but also to just talk about it more, right? And realize that like the mass criminalization of people in America isn't just for black people. It's also brown people. It's also indigenous people, queer mm. people, girls, right? Women, all of these other demographics are also impacted by the system. And more than anything, it's imperative that we all start coming together and talk about that more because young people are constantly going through the system, falling through the cracks, and we could be doing more if we knew how to and if we build some type of alternative together. Wow. Yes, brother. Muchas gracias. Thank you for for all of that. And I love that you bring it back to um, our indigenous roots and who we are as people and our identity. And, you know, how we were, um, how we survived for so many years, so thousands of years, like you mentioned, in a, in a tribe uh, where... Everybody had a role, you know, yeah. everybody had a role. The elders had a role. Um, the young people had a role. The teenagers had a role. And it was that rite of passage. And like you were mentioning, um, they had the space for them to make mistakes. And they had the, the men in the tribe to help them, guide them uh, in in that in that way to, to become an honorable man. And I think uh, a lot of that has been lost, you know, a lot of that has been lost um, with our community, the Latino community coming, um, a lot of us coming from a different country, coming to America, trying to work to make ends meet, uh, and then not having the capacity to course correct our, our own children. Um, so... I, this is a podcast for dads, right? This is a podcast for fathers. And I think that fathers have a big influence in how they can support their own children. Um, so what do you think uh, the role of fathers uh, is in this work of like supporting young men and, you know, helping them and ultimately, I think, building a community? Yeah, well... Thank you for bringing us back to dads. Um, as a dad, I'm a, I'm a dad to a 14-year-old now. She's a full-blown teenager, turns 15 this year. Mm. Um, I'm 30, y'all, so do the math. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's um, sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's a reality check when I realize that, wow, I have a soon-to-be 15-year-old in my life, and I've, I feel like I haven't even fully lived mine. Mm. Um, I think... One of the things that this whole this body of work that I've been in for the last 10 years made me realize is that the role of parents is so crucial and so important, but we don't give you know enough support or resources for parents to even go through their own healing and their own work yeah. to be the parents that we want them to be for those children. 
And then we, you know, demonize them or criminalize them or just make them look like the bad guy. When in reality, it's like they have their own trauma and hurt, too, that they're processing and dealing with. Right. So I think being a dad in this space, I'm consciously, you know, constantly thinking about how any of these young people that I'm working with, you know, what's the father figure in their life, too? Right. Like, who do they have? Oftentimes, Mm. I end up becoming that father figure, um, Mm. that mentor, that support. Yeah. And it makes me realize how important it is for dads to not just be present and not just be there to discipline, because discipline doesn't have to come in the form of more, you know, punishment. Discipline can be loving, right? And like yeah. being able to have real, genuine, authentic, and deep conversations with our children mm. could potentially save them, you know, from ever coming into contact with the law, could potentially save them from ever causing harm to people in their lives, could potentially teach them. You know, that there are other ways to handle emotions, to handle stress, to handle, you know, the day-to-day punches that life throws at us. And I think that the role that dads play is is imperative because as men in living in a, in a world where patriarchy is a thing, mm-hmm. um, as men where, you know, we exist in a world where misogyny and, and sexism and all these things exist in a way where we have been the cause in perpetuating that. Um, issue further and further you know down into rabbit holes we're in a unique position to Mm. you know dismantle those systems to pass on you know legacies of healing and love to our children and to just completely you know um do away with and, and obliterate um toxic masculinity you know machismo in 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 america you know there there are so many different things that i think dads could play a role in really challenging um and really pushing against and to any dad who feels conflicted with what i just said is like oh you know but what does that mean does that mean if i'm like not expressing my masculinity does that mean i'm more feminine and it's like no you know it has nothing to do with femininity or masculinity both energies should be always a balance for every individual right mm-hmm. like we should have both energies we shouldn't yeah. just think of ourselves as purely masculine yeah um because being you know, feminine oftentimes is being deemed, you know, more weak or 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 loving or or in some ways soft and gentle. And reality is, is that as men, we didn't grow up like that. Um, and when we become disciplinarian or hard or just very rough with our children, they carry that and they pass mm-hmm. that on and they keep that going and that their children do the same thing. And so it's like at some point, we have to sit back and realize that the more we continue to perpetuate this sense of masculinity and, and, and fatherhood that is very toxic and 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 hard and, and cold, that that's what our children are going to embody in the future. And that's mm-hmm. also, you know, a question that I always ask myself is like, is this the is this what I would have wanted growing up? And it's like, no, you mm-hmm. know, some people might call me soft now or or, you know, call me weak for saying that like, I know I would have wanted more hugs. I would have wanted more. I love yous. I would have mm. wanted more, you know, sit me down and be like, mijo, I'm proud of you. Mijo, congratulations on what you achieved. Mijo, you know, I just, I'm just happy you're here. I didn't hear those statements uh, yeah. growing up. You know, I heard you're not enough. I heard, I wish you'd never been born. You know, mm. I heard, you know, other things that to this day I carry in my spirit. Um, and it's and it's not and then it's not easy to say those things out loud because yeah. it's it's my truth and yeah. i love my parents you know i love my dad my dad is is a complex human being um and i and i through my own fatherhood journey i've also learned how mm. uh, complex uh fatherhood can be uh, especially when you have competing demands from the world right like competing demands from work competing demands from relationships competing demands from family, competing demands from just the way that society has uh, sort of imposed its own belief in terms of how men should act and look and behave. Mm. And constantly going against that grain uh, can be exhausting. Yeah. But I invite more dads to do that, right? Like go against the grain, be that loving, gentle, uh, communicative parent to your child. And more importantly, just do it for yourself, right? Like just show yourself the love that maybe your inner child needed at some point. Um, and that you never got because even now uh, expressing it out loud by default brings some tears out of my own eyes yeah because it's it's what I needed to hear growing up and mm. I'm lucky to be alive 
to still be able to hear me say those words out loud and to still be able to tell my own daughter, hey, mommy, I love you. You're the best. Thank you for being the best daughter. You know, the things that I just said, I tell my daughter all the time. Mm. Um, and if I had a boy, uh, I would be doing the same thing, right? Like I would be hugging them. I would be kissing them. I would be telling them, you know, I love you, papito, okay? If you need anything, I'm here, right? And like, that's that's what Ooh. I hope for men and more dads do because our children need that. They need that love. They need us to be gentle and they need us to just be present fathers and dads. And it might not be easy. I know for any dad out there that maybe, you know, is in a co-parenting relationship like I am, um, it probably is difficult to say like, how am I present if, if, if my child maybe doesn't live with me? And it's like, children will always recognize whether or not you are trying to be present. The smallest things mean the world to them. And mm. so just be present in whatever ways you can, but also always work on yourself because they will also notice when you're doing good or bad uh, for yourself and will call you out on it at some point. Uh, so do the work so that your children call you out, but for the good things, not for the bad things. And trust me, you'll, you'll, you'll thank yourself for it more in the future. Wow. Thank you, brother. Um, so, so many things I want to kind of come back to a little bit. Some of the things that we wish we would have heard. Um, I wish I would have heard when I was a little boy. I love you. I'm proud of you. You know, if you need anything, like estoy. Um, just a hug. Yeah, especially from, I, I, I think I got that from my mom, but I didn't get that from my father. And I needed that, you know, I needed that, that abrazo from my dad and just being able to feel protected, feel secure, you know, <clears throat> and uh, to be honest, the first time I started this work, it felt really awkward and weird, like hearing mm -hmm. those things or even telling those things to myself and like, oh, what is this feeling I'm I'm getting? <laughs> I'm not used to this, you know. What I'm saying is, it's like this, this feeling of, I guess what we call love, uh, and I, I didn't understand that because I wasn't used to it. I wasn't used to giving compliments and seeing the good in people, and mm -hmm. you know, seeing uh, giving myself grace and loving myself, and it's just this work that is continuous, but. You know, for any dad that that is starting that work, you know, you you're doing a great job. I appreciate the little things that you're doing. And then because like you also mentioned, there's times that we carry a lot of fathers. There's a lot of pressure on us, uh, whether that be work, society, family, you know, we have a backpack full of things. And sometimes we feel that as men we have to carry it alone or we have to carry it you know what are some things that we can put down aside and not not carry anymore right so i think that you know thank you for the work that you're doing not just being a father to your daughter but also being a father figure to all these young men that might be lacking a positive male role model that looks like them right mm -hmm. that it is brown like them that can talk Spanish like them, that knows the, the lived experience like them. You know, I think that goes, uh, you know, that's really gold right there, brother. Um, and I want to kind of bring it back to you in terms of like, you know, you all do this work for people and you give so much of yourself for people. And what are some tools, what are some things that have helped you you know, in your everyday life, do you know, some self-care practices that are helping you to, to stay grounded for that, you know, everyday dad? The everyday dad. Well, <laughs> I have to admit, and, and I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed to say this uh, out loud, but it's the truth, right? That practicing self-care, uh, self-love, and, and all the things that I just said out loud has been very difficult. Um mm. You know, what you express right now, Efrain, is very real. Like, it still feels a little, um, I still feel tension when I try to give myself that self-care of love. Like, I feel mm. like some parts of me uh, shame me or guilt trip me internally for taking breaks or for for thinking that I should pause. Yeah. And then there are other parts of my, my mental psyche and my physical body that are just so used to chronic trauma and stress that like mm. calmness and peace 
feels triggering in some ways, right? Like, because I'm yeah. so used to being hyper vigilant. I'm so used to like constantly having my guard up. I'm so used to like, even like facially, right? Like sometimes I, I don't catch myself and somebody will look at me and tell me like, hey, are you mad? And I'm like, no. It's like, because you, you have a, like a, a face that like you're like angry. And I'm like, oh, no. And then like, you'll see my, my face all, all of a sudden soften up. And yeah. it's because like we're used to that, right? Like we're yeah. used to like constantly being in like high guard, high mm. vision. And it's just like really difficult sometimes to go into your brain, go into those, you know, sections and sections of parts of you and find that switch, that light switch that's just like, okay, it's okay to turn myself off. And by turn myself off, I mean to pause, to breathe to take in something I enjoy, to feel happy, right? Like I don't need to be hyperactive anymore or hypervigilant or afraid that the the the, the other shoe is going to drop, right? Like I'm in a better place now. And I think that that's, mm. that's been the hardest part of the, the, you know, other end of the healing journey, right? It was hard mm. when I started. When I started, my copings were as like, let's go to therapy. Let's try medication. Let's try groups. Like mm. I was immersed in the work to heal myself. I was in therapy right. every week for about four years. That was like what I used to do for self-care. Right. But self-care over time now has looked like going out for a walk in one of my favorite sections in, in, you know, in New York city mm. or taking myself out on a dinner date in the evening mm. or, you know, just like pulling up to the gym and spending an hour and a half, just like, you know, pushing and pumping iron or running or, doing yeah. something that like like makes my heart pump and that makes yeah. me feel like I'm alive and I think that for me self-care now has really become uh an active sort of just in like uh, a point of a uh, curiosity and an inquisition in my life right like what is self-care for me right now right like mm-hmm. it's I'm not you know the person that walked out of prison I'm not 15 year old Hernan that walked into prison mm. I'm 30 years old I have lived through so much, survived so much. And even, you know, a week ago, Efrain, I will share with this with you and with everyone listening. I had a really bad mental breakdown uh, mm. last Friday. Um, I was crying on my couch for about three hours straight. Mm. And I couldn't pinpoint why. Mm. I spent most of the day just in bed and the couch and bed and the couch, you know, eight yeah. months. And that, that was it. Yeah. And some people might be like, oh, that's being lazy or like, oh, you know, like get yourself together. Like, why are you like laying in the couch? But it's like, that's what my body needed to do in that moment. Mm. And that was self-care. My Ooh. body needed to let out tears. My body needed to just lay down. My body needed to stop. And so I mm. listened to my body. The next day I woke up and what my body said is we need to walk. And so I walked a bunch of parks in New York City. I just kept stopping at different places and just got out of my car and started walking around. Ooh. And I did that for about seven hours and I listened to my body then. And then the following day I did nothing and I wasn't crying anymore. I was, you know, watching, you know, TV. Um, I was just relaxing and I was also listening to my body. So all of that to say that what I encourage dads to do or what I encourage anyone to do who listens to this episode is listen to your body. You know, mm. self-care will, you know, present itself to you like the version of it that you need, that you actually will benefit from. It'll come to you if you give yourself the time and, and, and breathing room for it to be, you know, sort of visible in your mind. And some people, you know, cope in different ways. Some people resort to substances. Some people resort to other ways. I don't shame any of those things, right? Like, however you are practicing self-care, just always think about, however, how that makes you feel the next day. Is it adding to your energy or is it taking more of your mm. energy, right? And like, we have distorted versions of what self-care looks like for some people. Um, and I'm still figuring out what mine is. Yeah. Uh, and so I invite everyone who listens to this episode to actually do that. Take some time to make a list of like, what are things that I enjoy doing? And, or what are things that I want to try doing? Uh, mm. And there, what are things that just I'm curious about that I think would be fun for me or make me happy, but that man to the rest of the world might look weird as hell because I'm a dude going out and doing this on my own. And it's like, who cares? Just mm. do it because you genuinely want to do it for you, for your spirit and for your happiness. That's what I encourage every dad to go and do after Ooh. listening to this episode. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a journey from our hair to our heart, our bodies, right? Um, that's one of the biggest journeys that as men, sometimes we, we're taking, stop being in our heads so much and just listening to what our body needs. Mm -hmm. What is our body telling us, right? What is our body telling us that they need? Does it need to walk? Does it need more water? Need um, a hug, you know? And I love that. I love that. Just like how self-care is going to look different for everybody, you know, listen to what you need at the moment and I, I also loved what you said too like not shaming uh however people take care of themselves whether it be like substances or everything but think about how is this going to make you feel the next day right is this yeah. going to add or is it going to take away from you and from being present and i will say if you're a dad from being present with your family so such yeah i love that that's great great wisdom all right, brother. Well, let's go ahead. Uh, we'll start wrapping it up. Uh, I have one last question for you, and then I'll ask you if you want to share any resources anywhere that people can find you. Um, and this is a question I ask. Uh, uh, I have I, I've been asking all the the dads that I've been interviewed, and is if you can go back um, before you became a dad. Uh, you know, kind of that feeling of of expecting your daughter wherever you were at if you can go back to that Hernan knowing what you know now and 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 you know with the experience that you know now sitting your with yourself uh across uh you know in a in a restaurant and you having an opportunity to share something with this this man that will help him in his journey what would what would you share to yourself at that moment? Oof. Uh, wow, that's a that's a deep question. Um as you were asking it, my my eyes started tearing up because mm. yeah, putting myself back when I learned that I was gonna be a dad the first time it was scary. It was it was a lot at that point. Um I was like literally 15 years old mm. had never held a job um could barely take care of myself didn't even know what the hell i was feeling there half the time uh during that age mm. all of a sudden the idea of taking care of another life um was just incredibly terrifying and so bringing myself back to that moment brings a little bit of sadness and grieving because in reality you know I should have been excited. I should have been happy. Um, I, you know, despite how old I was, I should have, I should have taken a deep breath and realized like, we will figure this out, right? Like mm. there are dads all the time, but I will figure this out. And mm. I think the thing I would have told myself uh, then would have been that it's going to be okay. Mm. Um, make sure that you make sure that you start taking the steps to become the kind of dad that you would want, you would have wanted. Um, mm. And also just, you know, don't, don't cause so much harm and hurt to her mom, you know, cause that, that's what I had done up until that point mm. and still did a little bit more of when I was in prison. And even when I came home, right. it's like, that's still the mother of your child, show her respect. And even if things don't work out, uh, always, always treat her with respect um, and always treat her with love because your daughter's watching. Mm. Uh, she's always going to see what you do. And um, that's what I would have told myself, you know, that it was mm. going to, that it's probably going to be really hard and really difficult. Uh, you're going to go through so much on a personal level that's going to make you question whether or not you should ever even be a dad again. Mm. Um, but you will be a good dad and um, you should never give up on the idea of wanting to be a dad again because you're actually going to end up being a great dad and I won't be the one to tell you that your own daughter will um, <laughs> and um, yeah I I would have given myself a hug in that moment I, I probably would have just told myself I love you 
and make sure you tell your daughter I love you every single chance you get. Um, mm. It's short. And, you know, she's going to be able to remember each of one of those I love you's every single day. Um, so thanks for asking that question. I don't think I've ever really thought about what I would have told myself. But yeah, I uh, I would have... I would have given myself a lot more credit than than I did um, because I was just I just thought I was just going to be a failure completely as a father and I mm. ended up doing a better job than I thought. So, thank you, Efrain. Uh, yeah, that's, brother. That's an awesome question. No, muchas gracias. Thank you so for for that answer and for your vulnerability, brother, for sharing your story, sharing your wisdom with us, and your courage to continue this healing journey, you know, because we know that it's a, it's a lifelong process. Poco a poquito, you know, you're not only healing for yourself, but you're healing with, for the community. When one person heals, we all heal. So your for tears sure. are, are beautiful, brother. Um, I appreciate you. So please uh share any any uh way that people can get in contact with you any work that you want to share any projects yeah no if you want to get in touch with me best way these days is instagram you know my last name carvente hernan you know both together mm. um if you want to support my work specifically again i run an organization called the alianza for youth justice if you put alianza for youth.org on any browser you'll see our website it's a little outdated um, but we're working on getting it updated soon. And you could also follow it on Instagram at Alianza, uh, Alianza Youth. Um, mm. My own personal project is called Healing Ninjas. This is where I met Efrain through. Yeah. Um, so if you want to, you know, hear me talk about mental health or just talk about all the stuff that went into healing and hear the stories of other people who also did that work, uh, please go follow Healing Ninjas too and listen to the podcast. Um I'll be trying to bring it back soon. So the episodes that are there are about 26 older episodes, but I'll be back soon. Um, and if Rain, maybe, you know, you'll join me on that podcast and, and share your own healing journey of mine as well. Oof, I would love to. I would love to, brother. <laughs> yeah, brother, whenever you're ready, you let me know. And muchas gracias. Thank you for sharing. Follow uh, Hernan. And we'll have all the, all the notes uh, in our show notes. So appreciate it. And remember, compadre, just show up, compadre. Just show up. That's todo. All right. What an impactful episode we just listened to with Hernan from the Healing Ninjas and all the work that he's doing. It was a deep episode, and he really brought it, uh, being vulnerable and sharing his journey at such a young age and going through so much. Um, so... Before we dive into this and really debrief this with my compadre Jose, I just want to invite us to take a moment to, to breathe, to take that pause and allow uh, any any messages, any anything to come through and just to broaden ourselves as we are going to kind of um, debrief this episode. So I invite you to go ahead and take a deep breath in through your nose. Deep, deep, deep. And... Exhale. One more. Take a deep breath in. Tune into your body. Tune into yourself. And exhale. For the two more. Inhale. And exhale. This is the last one. Inhale. A little bit deeper. We're going to hold it. And exhale. All right, compadre. Thank you so much for joining me on this platica just to kind of take some of those nuggets, those nuggets of wisdom that Hernan shared. So tell me, what, what did you take away from this episode? Yeah, thanks, uh, hermano, for that drop-in definitely much needed after um, finishing up this episode, listening to it, man. Hernan really, really brought his um, his truth, his authenticity, uh, and his lived experience, and that is much appreciated. 
Um, one of the things that comes up for me right now is just how relatable I am to to his experience and how I see that uh, oftentimes a lot of men um, go through similar situations. They're not all identical, but we do tend to experience that um, suppression and oppression, right, from from the society, whether it's the police, the lack of resources and supports, um, mm. but also from from our home and not mm. being not feeling safe at home, and and how that uh, you know played out as as uh, as a key fundamental segue into essentially what our life ends up turning out to be. And so I'm really glad that for him he had that experience of being able to turn his life around after going to jail. Uh, mm. I can't even imagine how hard that must have been with having the birth of his daughter while he was in jail. Uh, mm. But the medicine and the lesson for him was that he came out uh, really motivated to want to do different. And I'm glad that he's been able to pave the way for, for others, including his daughter uh, and for himself, but you know, for others as well to help steward other men, other people uh, in in this life. So through his just through his lived experience, you know. So yeah, he's yeah. definitely a survivor. So yeah, yeah, brother. And you know, you said something very important. It's like how as as young men, uh, nos aguantamos, you know, suppress uh, the things that that happen to us, and then the oppression that comes from society as living as a as a young brown man um you know uh in the united states and how we are just looking to experiment get to know ourselves a little better have a safe space where we can challenge ourselves and challenge each other but oftentimes those spaces are not created for us so what happens is we get into what we know or what's around, which is gangs, you know, that gang life and being able to be part of the the pack of of the of the homies, being able to claim a a, a hood, um, and then things continue to move forward from there, right? And can go into uh, drugs and can go into violence and can go into fights and like kind of like what Hernan's situation, he ended up. Uh, attempting to take someone else's life without really knowing that uh, that individual um so yeah how can how can we create more safe spaces as fathers for these young men that are growing up uh in these in these uh barrios in these situations yeah man i completely agree um before we jump into that question you know i i one of the reasons why I related to that is because I also grew up in, in a neighborhood. Luckily, I was able to steer away from from the the problems and getting myself caught up uh, with the law. But I know a lot of other guys that that were not as fortunate. Yeah, you know, see that all around in our comunidad, um, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be gangs, right? It could be getting getting caught up in with alcoholism or um, other certain addictions or problems or or simply just mental health issues right that go unaddressed um so with that being said yeah definitely is it's very vital and crucial that we continue to uh, create and encourage people to seek out support and for us as fathers to create the foundation of of a good home and a good structure um, at home with their children and that's where it starts the works yeah no i agree with you you know like the work starts at home with that key pillar of the mother and the key pillar of the father but we're talking about fatherhood here right mm -hmm. and oftentimes uh, i felt that as men we're supposed to do things by ourselves we're supposed to go through it by ourselves and asking for help is a, is a sign of weakness um tu puedes, right but Man, fatherhood can have as many challenges, you know. So having being able to to have men in my life, such as yourself, such as the other compadres, to share my experiences has been has been really key. Um, just to reflect one another, you know, 
uh, iron sharpens iron, man sharpens man, and fathers sharpen fathers. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And, you know, one of the reasons why is because we have to recognize that um, even as children, right? Like he shares how even at a young, early childhood, like he experienced and survived a lot and went through a lot. And and I know that that's the case for a lot of us as well. Um, and what happens if we don't address this, these, um, these situations in our lives that maybe are not are, are no longer serving us. We're carrying a, around a, a essentially a backpack full of things that are weighing us down mm. and we don't, sometimes we don't even recognize it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it take, it does take that, uh, at least, you know, there's, there's ways to bring that to light, the, the unpacking. Um, mm -hmm. one of the, what we're creating here is a support, a support group for men, mm -hmm. for fathers is that aspect of iron sharpens iron, right? It's like, we can we can hold that we can hold your grief we can hold your 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 celebration your joy uh, your mm -hmm. fear your pain we can hold that we can witness that mm -hmm. and we can hold that so that your children don't have to do it so that our children my children my daughter specifically right like doesn't have to carry around my my bs from the past you know mm -hmm. and i can instead show up with love and with presence and like what hernan was talking about is like essentially being a steward to to not just our children but even those children within our community with our extended families you know yeah. and because kids are watching man kids are smart and they're watching and they're absorbing um how we carry ourselves and that does influence essentially their essentially how they you know how they will conduct themselves later on in life just by yeah. the role models around their around their home their teachers their mentors their tios you know their parents yeah Hmm. Yeah, brother. I think you you hit the nail on the head that we're not just fathers to our own children, but other children. You know, we, I have sobrinos, I have uh, nephews, I have um, ahados, you know, godsons, um, and I work with kids. So, you know, uh, sometimes I am one of the only positive male figures that looks like them, you know, that is brown like them, that can talk like them. And, you know, sometimes I don't see, like, uh, the impact that I create, but I, I hope that I'm just planting those seeds that one day, you know, they're going to remember me and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, Mr. Reyes, help me out in X, Y, Z, just how Hernan is doing in his community. I think we all kind of can do our part no matter what industry you are, you know, as long as you are in contact with a young, younger generation, I think you can create an impact as a, as a brown father, as a, as a brown man. Oh yeah. Oof. Fire. I love it. I love it. Yeah, man. I think yeah. that, um, you know, that's the work that we're doing. That's the work. And I want to just take a deep breath into that. <sighs> Yeah, I, I take that in, take your words in because, you know, I'll share now, like, how he shared that um, in prison, he met uh, James uh, Lakin, who saw him as a human, who called him by his name, and and helped guide him. And I, when I heard that, I was, man, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful, you know that's beautiful to have that, that one person. I think that that was a reminder for me how it only takes one person to help shift the life of someone, especially like a, a teen or a kid who needs that support. And we don't have to be therapists. We don't have to be uh, mentors necessarily, right? It, it, it just meeting like who in our community we can help. And sometimes it's, it's, that that family member someone is someone sometimes it's someone that we uh, work uh, with right but again it's just a reminder that that it only takes one person to help shift the life and so that that encouragement of like that could be any of us you know as men as fathers to take on that responsibility to show up not just with our children but you know with the with the, with those around us as well those other those other teens and help steward them because um yeah life is 
life is hectic and life has um, evolved in a, in a way where um, there's a lot of disconnection. And so to have that connection is, uh, is a very refreshing perspective right now. Yeah, brother. I think, uh, you know, that's really key is it only takes one person and you can be that one person uh, that can help shape that, that child's life. You know, they say that it is easier to, um, to raise men than to, I'm sorry, is it easier to raise boys into men than to repair a broken, broken men? So it's, it's really starting from that point on. And then I want to end it with, how are you how are you taking care of yourself right because we cannot give what we don't have we cannot give that love if we don't give give that love to ourselves and as men yes it's great to have the the men in your life and people in your life to love on you but don't it's important not to wait on that because that might not happen every day so how can we practice self love how can we practice self self care and fill our own cup on a daily basis, so that way we can give more and, and, and pour from a uh, a cup that is full. I think that was a key part that that Nan touched on, like having that self care practice. And I know that for me, that looks like waking up early in the morning, meditating, uh, stretching, writing in my journal, going for a walk or some type of workout. And like, that's crucial to me to be able to have a good day and to be able to go about my day. So this is an invitation for the men listening is just thinking about that question. How do you take care of yourself? How do you show yourself love? So that way you can give more to others. But yeah, I'll give you the palabra, compadre. What what did you want to share about that? You know, one of the things that he talks about is um, encouraging men to explore that writing, that part of um, self-care and healthy self-care habits. So what comes through with me is, um, is, first of all, is we have to start normalizing that it's okay, that it's okay to take care of ourselves. I think as men, uh, as, as fathers, we tend to give to others. And our interpretation of self-care sometimes tends to be, um, you know, uh, perhaps not the healthiest of choices. So what does it mean to self-care and to self-love in a good way and, and, and um, whatever that means and looks like to everybody, but to keeping in mind that we have to honor the, our spirituality, we have to honor our physical health, our, our body. Uh, and also our mental and emotional, just because we don't see our emotions or or um, or are not tangible or like our thoughts, they're still there, right? Our mental health is still important. Our emotional health is still important. So yeah, it's not always going to be about going to the gym and taking care of our physical health, but making sure that we're doing something that uh, that is going to encompass and incorporate a little bit of 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 uh, again, our mental and emotional and spiritual health. And so I love what he said is like, listen to your body just without judgment. Like if it's going on a walk to the park, like he said, or if it's taking yourself out on a date or if it's, you know, calling it an early night, um, but being in tune with ourselves and making it more of a priority on a daily basis to create that self-care routine um, and make it so into a ritual. And, and by doing so, it's going to allow us to live a a more balanced life because we're not on edge all the time because we are taking care of ourselves. So again, we're more balanced, uh, increases joy and happiness. um, Again, just because we're honoring ourselves for who we are and not just giving, giving from an empty cup and then snapping at our children or our partner or our coworkers or on the freeway, you know? Yes, thank you, brother. So this is an invitation for all the men, all the fathers listening, and just anybody that's listening, really, to look into what is a, your self-care routine look like? What can you do more? What can you do less so that you can have a, a more balanced life? We would love to hear your thoughts. So you can always uh, DM us at Latino 
dad underscore connection on Instagram or send us a email at Latino dad connection uh, gmail.com or visit our website to to give us more of that information. Lastly, I just want to end that we are going to be starting our a week program in May. So if you are interested in diving a little bit more deep into some topics such as healthy relationships, such as father-child bond, financial literacy, and come uh, connect with us and 10 other men through this eight-week journey, uh, send us a DM and uh, I'll share more information about that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Latino Death Connection Podcast. And remember, just show up, compadre. Just show up.